we've got a massive verse to start with, which I will apologise for, um, and it's over quite a few slides, but if you've got your Bible, if you can turn to Acts 10, and we're going to be reading through the whole of Acts 10. I'm going to just do a whistle-stop tour through Acts 10, um, the verse, and then we're going to be unpicking it a bit and looking at at what God's message is for us. So, uh, from verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout and God-fearing man, and as everyone was in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. Um, He asked the angel, and the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw an open sky and something like a large sheet came down, let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call, me some, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as as, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and, and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we're sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed us to summon you to his house so that you can hear his message, so he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived at Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together all of his relatives and close friends. As Peter opened the ha- entered the house, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm human just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me. Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messages, now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in a home of Simon and Tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly God shows no favouritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching the message of his baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And 
Then Jesus went round doing all good things and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did through Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. And God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one of all prophets testify about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even Peter, who was saying, as, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who listened to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured onto Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptised now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So they gave orders for them to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with him for several days. Okay, you're still with me? That was a mammoth chapter. Um, I needed to go through it all at the first, so you've got a big picture of what's going on. So after, over the past few months, we've been exploring Acts and how the early churches developed, how it sort of coped with conflict, how they shared with one another, how they stood up against attacks and allowed the Holy Spirit to open up um, op- opportunities and, um, and soften the hardest of hearts. I can't believe that we're only in Acts 10, because there feels like there's been a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of meat in these verses, um, but we've been really soaking up and exploring what God's got for his church and what that means to our, our church today. Acts, um, as we've seen go through, is a real message of, um, of grace, of personal stories. We see it time and time again, no matter who you are or what you've done or what's going on in your lives, you're called into the family of God, and he wants to have a deep and personal relationship with every single one of us. He uses the smallest of people to approach the most unlikely of characters with a message of love, hope and salvation. We see Jesus through his spirit continuing the work that he started when he was on earth as a physical being um, through his disciples. He calls them still to turn their lives around and follow him. So here in Acts, we see two lives intersecting. We've got Cornelius, who's an Italian centurion, and one of Jesus' closest friends when he was alive on earth, um, Peter, who'd been travelling around and spreading the gospel. And God has the message for each one of them, and he shows up at pretty much the same time for both of them and brings their two lives together um, for the sake of the gospel. So Cornelius is is this um, elite leader. Um, He's living in a Roman-occupied port called Caesarea, And it was an occupied territory, so um, he was there to keep the local people in order. And at this time, this meant that, you know, there there was a lot of Jews around um, in in the area, but he was trying to keep these people who were following what they called the way um, under control. Um, And it was sort of traditional for Romans when they went into an area, an occupied area, they'd take on the customs and and practices of that local area to keep everybody under control. So they didn't come in with a new religion and tell everybody to, to behave. Um, but he would have, you know, they'd have been there for hundreds of years and they would have taken on the Jewish culture and Jewish religion. So when it says that Cornelius was a devout and God-fearing man, we can assume that he worshipped a Jewish God. It describes... Um, his actions, that he's sort of really trying to, to seek God, to appease God, and to, to live in a godly way. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So he would have been able to go to the temple. There's a picture of the temple, hopefully on the next slide. 
Yep. So he would have been able to go to the temple, but um, if you can have a look on here, you've got the sort of big sticky up building in the middle. That's the really holy. Yeah, I think that's the tr- uh, that's the technical term, the sticky up bit in the middle. Um, that's the holy of holies. That's the really that's the centre of the temple. That's where the priest would have been, where the sacrifices would have happened. And then you've got sort of down some steps where the, that would have been the men's court. And then in the front of it, we've got a few little pillars sticking up. That's the women's court. And all that area around the outside, the big vast area, that's the court of the Gentiles. Um, and the reason why the court of the Gentiles was built was because Herod had a, a clever plan that if we let the Gentiles in and some stalls where they can trade, we'll make more money out of the temple. So anybody was allowed in. Anybody that wasn't a Jew was allowed into this outside area, but not into the walled area in the middle. So um, we can assume that Cornelius, as a God-fearing man, would have gone to the temple and gone to the court of the Gentiles. And there were signs in Latin and Greek on, the, um, on that inner part saying that if a Roman was to go any further than that, then they would be killed. And although the Romans had the law of the land, it was authorised for Jews to kill a Roman who went any further. So um, it was, that was kind of Jewish territory um, and they, they had power there. So Cornelius would have been very rich and powerful in his work life. Um, he'd have had hundreds of men at his command. But he was separated from God, literally, by these walls. He could have made a sacrifice, but would have had to go through um, various other people to reach the priest. Um, and it suggests that perhaps he was really hungry for God. He gave generously and he prayed regularly to God. Um, and all of his household followed God. But there wasn't anything else that he could do through his own power to make him any closer to God. There were literal barriers in the way. Um, But God actually really saw um, Cornelius' heart. And he sent a revelation to him in the form of an angel. And he says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. So he might have sent many goats and, and sheep and rams and stuff in as an offering. But actually what God what the value of um, to God was, was his prayers and his gifts to the poor. And God had seen that and had seen in his heart. He'd noticed the individual. He says, um, when, when the angel comes down, he calls him by name, Cornelius, the angel said. And Cornelius stared at him in terror. Now, it would have been pretty terrifying anyway to have a massive angel, somebody blazing in front of you. But for that um, heavenly creature to know you by name would have been pretty shocking. I mean, this is not just saying in the olden days it would have been pretty shocking. That would be, put your hand up if you think that would be pretty shocking if an angel just turned up in your front room um, and knew you by name and had a message for you. Um, this is pretty big stuff. Um, but he, the angel clearly directs Cornelius how to find the missing piece of his puzzle. And Cornelius doesn't mess around. He's quick to act. He sends his best people, his, um, his closest soldiers and, and servants, to go and find out if this is true. So he's got a message from God and he wants to send them, you know, get going straight away. Go and see if this is, you know, God's gave him very specific. Simon Peter's going to be in this house. It belongs to Simon the Tanner. You know, it's sort of like, you probably gave him like a Google Maps or something. This is where you go and find him. Um, and they knew exactly where to find him. And it was exactly as, as God had said. And at the same time, so Joppa is about 30 miles south of um, Caesarea. Um, if you get a bus there, it's, they both places still exist. It takes about an hour on the bus. It would have taken a few days to walk. Um, obviously, there, there weren't the same public transport links then. Um, Joppa is now part of Tel Aviv. It's a district of that, and it's now spelt Jaffa, like the cakes. 
Jaffa Cakes. Um, but it was called Dropper, and it's actually one of the oldest working ports um, that, that exists. So it, 800 years before, it's where Jonah caught his boat to Tarshish. Um, so it's been going, it's been around for a long time, and like I say, it still exists now as a working port. And Peter had been travelling around the Mediterranean and the Middle East with John sharing the good news. Um, he'd been healing people, praying for the Holy Spirit to come on people. But these were all Jews who um, had, were interested in what the way was, what Jesus had been about. Um, and they'd been able to share that good news with, with other Jews. And so he'd settled in Joppa. Um, I quite like the fact that he's a tanner on a beachfront. Um, you know, it's, uh, the mind boggles. Um, <laughs> somebody with a little tanning station. Um, of course, it was tanning leather. Um, but so he was, he was staying with him. And he was up on his roof having his, his prayer time. And, um, you know, maybe he was, he was waiting for the dinner to be cooked, so maybe he was a bit hungry, and this vision came, came upon him. But this is at the same, so the next day, as Cornelius' messages, messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the room, roof to pray, um, and he fell into a trance. So simultaneously, God, God comes to Cornelius, and he sets the messengers on his, or the um, servants on his way, and then God shows up for Peter. And he says to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, sorry, he saw the, the sheep with all sorts of animals. Now, I was, I was uh, doing a bit of internet looking, at, looking around when I was doing my research for this, and there were some brilliant pictures of what those sheets of animals contained, like zebras and giraffes and stuff. Perhaps uh, I'd be quite surprised if Peter had a vision of that. He might not even know what a zebra or giraffe looked like. Um, but it does say that there were an, all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds, uh, which, of course, were forbidden for them to eat. And his first reaction is a bit like, no, no, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't, you know, I wouldn't eat those things. Don't, you know, I, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. So he's, he's sort of, what are you saying, God? Are you challenging me on this? Um, but he's shown this vision three times, and it takes three times for the penny to drop for him. Um, or to really check out, is this, what are you saying, God? Is, is this you talking to me? What's, what's going on? Um, and of course it was Peter that was, um, that denied Jesus three times. Um, so the three times is quite significant for that. Um, but what God showed him in that moment, that it wasn't about the animals, it wasn't actually anything about what he was going to eat. It was about making the Gentiles pure and acceptable. So, so far, all the message had been to the Jews, and this was a changing point in the gospel. This was about those walls in the temple being knocked down and the Gentiles having access to come into God. Um, so it's a really major point in church history and, you know, God's given a massive message to Peter that's going to change the whole of, whole of the church. But it would be absolutely useless if Peter had kept that to himself. You know, it would have been phenomenal that God gave that message, but the real point of this was for Peter to pass on that message. So we see that God's really at work in Peter and he's challenging his views um, and trying to change the narrative and of what the Holy Spirit can do. But interestingly, it didn't actually change the um, the cultural narrative at all because the temple remained exactly the same for, for thousands of years after. Um, the, the barrier, the literal barriers were still there. So the Jewish culture itself wasn't changed, but what God ended up doing in these two people's lives changed those individuals. The Jews' attitudes towards the Gentiles, Gentiles we see in Acts 21, later on in Acts when Paul comes into the um, comes into the temple with a Gentile and he's threatened by the people and by the high priest who say, um, you know, that you're not allowed to bring the Gentiles in. So we know that it wasn't that at this point in, in Acts that 
the temple just fell apart and, and it was fine. Um, there were still those cultural things going on. And sometimes we're faced with those circumstances when God brings us a message that we have to share and it might have an impact on an individual, but we can become frustrated that it hasn't changed a whole culture. You know, we, we might bring a message to somebody else in the church um, and actually then frustrated that it hasn't affected the whole church, but it would have had an impact on that one person's life. And our job is just to do our bit that God tells us to do. God only required Peter to bring that message to Cornelius, whose heart was ready to hear it. So as Peter was praying, Cornelius's men arrived looking for him. And naturally, he should have been really anxious. So the Roman guards would have, and uh, soldiers and servants would have been dressed in a certain way. They'd have been very clearly Roman. They'd have had a different, um, a different language, different sort of accent. Everything would have, it would have known from hearing them. Um, okay, these are the Romans. And he wasn't exactly popular. So the people who were following the way were trying to, the Romans were trying to suppress them. Um, and he's arrived and saying, you look, I'm looking for this guy called Simon Peter and we want to take him with us. So his first instinct would have been absolute terror. But God says to him, so at the same time, the Holy Spirit says to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So God is really at work here. He sent that message to Cornelius, um, you know, go down and fetch this person. He's telling Peter, this is the message I'm going to give you to bring to somebody. Um, And these people are going to turn up and don't be afraid. Um, So it took a few days for them to, he went with them, took a few days for them to get back to Cornelius' house. And when he arrived, it's filled with loads of people. Cornelius knew that something was about and didn't want anybody to miss out on that. He was really expectant of God. So although he'd been estranged from God in terms of stuck out in this court of Gentiles, he knew God, you know, this is phenomenal. Angels turned up. He knows my name. Something exciting is going to happen. And so he calls everybody he knows. You know, this is the biggest house party ever. Um, But that must have been really hard um, for Peter. So he walks in and Cornelius falls down at his feet. He's a powerful man, and he falls down at the feet of somebody who's just, you know, just a nobody. Um, and and Peter says to him, you know, get get up, I'm just human. I'm not God. He puts God back in, in his rightful place and makes sure he knows, I'm just a messenger, I'm just doing my job for God. But he wouldn't, still didn't know. Um, so it said sort of um, back then, Simon was sort of puzzling over what did this mean and what would what would God want him to share. So he walks into this house. Um, this a powerful man falls at his feet. There's loads of people around. What's going on here? And so he says, you know, it's against the law for a Jewish man to enter the Gentile home like this or associate with you. He's making sure this isn't a trap. Look, I know this isn't okay, so I'm just going to say I'm not. You know, are you inviting me? And in? what's happened here? Um, and he would have still been part of that culture where, you know, even God's spoken to him and said, I'm going to make the unpure people pure. But this has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years that Jews and Gentiles are very separate. So to walk into a house, it wasn't like he just walked in easily like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm here. Um, you know, it was a big deal for him to walk in. And not only this, so even if he wasn't afraid, even if God had got rid of all that fear, the Romans had... They'd crucified Jesus, they'd stoned Stephen, they'd thrown others into jail, and Peter had experienced all of this firsthand, he'd seen this. So even if he wasn't scared, he would have been pretty outraged with these people of, why have I got to come to you and share this good news with you? How could God love somebody who'd acted so abominably towards these people? I mean, how would you feel if you were invited into the home of somebody who'd tortured and killed your closest friends or your saviour? Could you look them in the eye and tell them that God loved them, knowing that they'd done that? 
or their people have done that. It was reported in April this year that, um, we've got a picture in a moment, um, a victim of the Jewish Holocaust, Eva Kaur, um, if you can bring her picture up. So this lady met with a Nazi officer to offer her forgiveness. She and her twin sister Miriam had been torn from their mother's arms. They'd, got, they'd gone to a Holocaust camp um, to Auschwitz. And her mother and father and her siblings were all killed. And her and her twin were taken off for experimentation. Um, and they, um, the, later the twin died from the effects of, of all the experiments that they'd had on them. And so they'd had a pretty horrendous life in the Jewish concentration camp. Um, but 50 years later, she goes into the home of a nursing home of a guy called Oscar Gruering, who was the high officer at the camp. He was the one that took all the names and decided where people went. And she met with him to show God's love and forgiveness. And actually, she had a lot of criticism from other Jews at the time. Um, so this was just this year, because they said it wasn't her place to forgive on behalf of all of the Jews. That, you know, yeah, maybe that's made her feel better, but their offence was against the whole of the Jewish nation um, or Jewish culture, and it wasn't her place to do that. But you can see the love that she's showing this man, who's effectively, that that man sealed her fate and and decided that her parents and her family were going to be killed and that her and her twin sister were going to be tortured. Um, And yet she's still showing that love and forgiveness. So as Peter walked into this room, he must have felt the heavy weight of responsibility upon him to accept these people into his church, it would have been as shocking as a Jew walking into a Nazi headquarters in the 1940s. You know, it's in the middle of it happening. It's not 50 years later. It's right when it's happening. Or a Northern Irish Protestant going in for dinner at the home of the head of the IRA in the 90s. Or Steve, um, when he's on his uh, sabbatical, going to, to an ISIS camp and saying, oh, we'd like you to, to come and worship with us. Come come to Central Vineyard on Sunday. Annie's preaching. It'll be a good one. Um, you know, this would have been headline stuff um, that he's walking into the home of effectively sort of the enemy. And if it wasn't sure suicide, it would have been a massive step for him to say this on behalf of the other believers. What would everybody else think that they're going to invite Gentiles, Gentiles as part of their religion? So he said, God has shown me that I no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. I see very clearly that God has shown no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. There is peace with God throughout Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And I can say, thank God, that literally thank God, that Peter got over any prejudice and fear and welcome those Gentiles into God's family. Because that's us. You know, we are those Gentiles. We haven't become part of God's family by some birthright or because of who we are or the family name that we've been born into. We're not worthy of, of God's love through our own merit. We haven't earned that right. But this is our spiritual inheritance because God has welcomed us in. In Gentiles 3.29 it says, And now you belong to Christ. You're the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. God has made us part of his family. We're his, heir, we're his heirs. We're heirs to God's kingdom. We get to be part of this. So as Peter went into the house and shared with the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening, and they spoke in tongues and begged to be baptised. And the Jews were amazed. You know, maybe they'd heard what Peter had said, but they didn't really believe that this could happen. Um, that actually these Gentiles could be accepted by God. 
But suddenly the playing field has been levelled. Everybody is equal. Everybody gets to play. And this is a a vineyard sort of phrase that we sometimes use, a vineyard fundamental. Um, Everybody gets to play. And it's deeply rooted in scripture. We all get to be involved. We all get to experience the Holy Spirit. It's not just for the leaders or the people who go away to a camp or a conference. Everybody gets to hear God and gets to play. It says in John 8, whoever belongs to God hears the words of God. And in John 14, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. God is about all of us, not just about those who are part of a special name or hierarchy or religion. It's about he he has invited all of us to be part of his family. And actually, you know, we can sit there now with a warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, God's picked me. Isn't that nice? But that comes with a responsibility. You know, it says, so I've just read, whoever belongs to God hears the words of God. And if we see Peter and we see Cornelius, they were they wanted God as part of their lives and they got to hear God. They got to hear God's message and be his messengers. So it's a shared responsibility that we have as a church um, that we have of leading and listening. And this isn't up to those that sit on the front row. And by the way, the only reason that Sam and, and these guys here and, and me and Pete sit on the front row isn't because we're special. It's because nobody else does. Look, look at that front row. It's empty. Anybody wants to sit on the front row, you're more than welcome. Okay, it's not, there's not more Holy Spirit on the front row. Um, there's not more Holy Spirit on the back row. You know, it's for all of us. We all get to play. We all get to be involved. But it is about making a conscious effort. And it is a responsibility. So... You know, you might hear people on a Sunday sharing what God has said to them on behalf of the church or said to them, said to individuals. But that's not because they're special. And it's not because it just pops into their head because they're super spiritual. It's because those people will spend time during the week asking God, what do you want to say to the church? What do you want to say to the people that are here today? What do you want to say to my neighbour? What do you want to say to the person at the supermarket? They're asking God to speak to them continuously. And that, I really, really want to emphasise that that is not people who are special. Everybody gets to be involved. Whoever belongs to God, hears the words of God. Um, And I noticed that over the summer with Steve and Tammy gone, that I've made more of a conscious effort to really strive to hear, not strive, but, you know, seek God out and say, what have you got for the church? Because nobody else is going to do that because Steve and Tammy are gone. And, you know, if we don't do that, Maybe it would be a good, good, good lesson. Marcus said we should just all, all shut up and see what happens. Um, but, you know, we're in the position where we, we need to be leading the church. So we need to be hearing from God. But that is a joint responsibility. So here, here when I say this, this is important stuff. This is for all of us to get involved. Um, I've gone off my point a bit. Um, yeah, so none of us, not only... No, hold on a second. Yeah, so not only are we stuck in that court of Gentiles, but we're actually invited into the Holy of Holies. We see the Holy Spirit descending upon um, all of these Gentiles and that everybody gets to experience the Holy Spirit. It says in Corinthians, God's various gifts are handed out to everyone, but they all originate in God's Spirit. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. So this isn't just about um, prophesying and speaking words and, and pictures over people. This is all kinds of gifts. But this is a church that works together um, and everybody gets to be involved. And we have a safe space to practice here. 
Um, you know, we can we can listen to God and and have a go and pray for other people and say, I think God might be saying this. Um, and unless it's really um, negative or critical or um, sort of where you think you're giving really constructive criticism through God, I'd check that out with somebody first. But, you know, generally, if it's a word of encouragement, go with it. You know, you're not going to do harm by saying, I think this is what, I mean, I'm not saying just stand there and make it up. But when you're praying with somebody, you can just say what you think God's given you to say and have a go at that. Um, because if we can't do it in here, we're never going to do it out, outside of the church. Um, John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, used to say, the meat is on the streets. So the goal of the vineyard has always been to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not about doing the stuff here. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit having a go, having a practice, and getting out there and getting on with it. So we want to be training our church to be ordinary people doing extraordinary things. God wants to use us as his messengers, so we need to be really sharp and ready for that. So I'm going to um, have a look about how we can hear God's voice, how, how um, Peter heard God's voice, and how we know that it's God's voice. So, yeah, perfect. Um, in Acts, it's really clear that God's speaking. You know, the angel turns up. It's kind of a bit of a giveaway. Um, and now if we had an angel or a burning bush, we'd probably be pretty certain that that was God or some kind of wildfire or something, um, or a booming voice or something supernatural. You know, we'd be sure that that was God. And God still does show up like this sometimes. Um, you know, if you if you just do a Google search about angels or angelic things, there's some churches that will um, really press into this side of God of seeing um the miraculous happen with with feathers and gold dust and and hearing angels' voices. Now that tends not to be what happens here, but I'm open to that. You know, if that's how God wants to show up at Central Vineyard, that's fine with me. Um, but there's lots of other ways that we can hear God's voice. I'm not discounting any of that at all. But um, so we can hear God's voice through the Bible. We can hear what God's saying to us through reading Scripture. And the more that you read, um, rather than just picking up and reading along on a Sunday, the more you read in the week, the more those verses will come to mind when you're praying for other people and when you're sharing God's word with others through visions and pictures. So I find that this tends to be more with people who kind of think a bit more creatively or think a bit more pictorially. So I have kind of a bit of an active imagination. So I think that's how God kind of, why he pops visions into my head, because I'm always visualizing things anyway um so when people say things like imagine your audience before you with no clothes on and then you'll feel confident i can't do that that would not be helpful for me um so but visions and sorry that's an aside visions and pictures are from god not that kind of visions so um if you're kind of a creative person you might find that god speaks to you in that so if you just have a random picture of something it's okay to kind of go this might mean something to somebody and you don't always get the interpretation with it so you might be like i just have a picture of a plug I don't know what that means. And then somebody else might go, oh, I, th- I think God's saying that we need to plug into something. You know, somebody else might bring that word. Dreams. Um, now, some people are really active dreamers. Other people don't dream at all. When Ken dreams, he's pretty sure it's from God because it happens about once a year. Um, and he was, what do you think this could mean? Um, so, but dreams are a way that God can, can speak. Um, creation, you know, just when you're outside, you can see God's glory. You can see what God's doing in the world. Rainbows are a reminder of what God's promise. Through our circumstances, through bringing people into our lives, connecting other people with us, um, or a set of circumstances, you're just like, do you know what? I think that must just have been God because he, you know, he set things up in a certain way. Uh, other people sharing encouragement, sharing messages coming into your life, literature, books that you might read, 
music. Um, I know that I, I really enjoy listening to worship music and some of the words out of that will sometimes speak to me and I'll go, oh yeah, I remember that God is telling me that sort of thing. Um, through art, um, through just your thoughts or an impression. So it doesn't have to be something bold in, you know, written up on the screen or something. It's just something that might drop into your mind and you just think, oh, that's a bit strange. I wonder where that came from. But rather than dismissing it straight away, um, often the kind of unusual thing that drops into your mind when you're asking the Holy Spirit to come is probably God. So be bold with the things that God might say. Um, And he uses lots of other things to communicate with us. But if we make time and space and we focus on him, he promises to speak to us. He promises to speak to all of us. He says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Often it's that we're too busy to hear what God's saying. It says in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Now when we're still, when we quiet, excuse me, quiet ourselves, and we practice leaning into God, then we get the privilege of hearing his voice. But to know God, we really need to know him. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I remember watching a a film about penguins a few years ago, and it said that they live in colonies of over about a 1,000 birds, and they pair up to mate, and then one of them goes off um, to fish for the um, to get the fish, um, and they come back, and to find their mate, um, they call out. And so imagine like over 500 birds, or like 1,000, calling to each other um, to try and find it. It would just be absolute chaos, but they know their mate instantly by the sound of their call. Um, it's like if you know a friend or family member rings you up and they just say hi, or Ken never even says hello. It just starts off on a random thought. Um, and sorry, Ken, it's because you're in my vision. Um, chosen a bad place to sit. Um, but you know who's speaking because you know their voice. And in the same way, we know God's voice the more we listen to Him. Um, so the more you get those thoughts, you can then start to go, oh yeah, that sounded a bit like what it did before. So when we listen to God and we spend time with him and worship him and still ourselves before him, we might have a number of experiences. At times you might hear that clear, definite message from God. Sometimes you'll hear nothing at all and it will just be a blank space. And then other times you might just hear a big jumble of thoughts that you can't quite work out what's yours and what's God. And you might look at, yeah, you might look at other people and think, well, they always hear from God and it's so clear and it's so easy. But again, I just want to encourage you that it's not dead easy. Well, it is easy in a way to hear from God, but it takes practice and it takes um, focus. Um, so, you know, Peter, despite having a good few years travelling around with Jesus, he still questioned God. So he knew Jesus' voice, he knew the sort of thing Jesus would have said because he actually physically spent time with him. But he still questioned God, you know, what are you actually saying here? I haven't eaten any of those animals, what's going on? And it's okay to question when you get something from God. Check it out with somebody else who's been a Christian a bit longer or maybe a bit more, have a bit more practice with this. Or just ask God, is that really you? Can you show me? Um, was it Jacob with the fleece? No, I'm going to show my bad Bible knowledge now. Who put the fleece down? Gideon, there we go. Um, so Gideon put a fleece down and was like, if you make it wet, then I'll know it's from you. And then if you make it dry, I'll know it's for you. you need, there's people in the Bible, when we look back, they really checked things out Um Is that really you, God, that's speaking before I go and share something? So that's okay to do that as well. Um, You know, for the whole of history, there'd been this separation between the Jews and the Gentiles with the temple set up and everything else. And so it was okay for for Peter to go, is this really what you're saying? Because this is a big deal if I get this wrong. 
Um, sorry, yeah. So think back, I mean, where Abraham, God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament and said, take your son, yes, your only son, Isaac, who you love so much, go into this land, stick him on an altar and burn him to death. You know, and I'd really hope that Abraham was like, are you sure, God? Is this really from you? Because the next line says, so he took, he took um, Isaac and went off up the mountain. Um, but I think there was a bit, of, a bit of dialogue going on there, a bit of discussion. Is this really you, God? Is this really what you want me to do? But he stepped out in faith and did it anyway. He was really confident that he'd heard God's voice and he was really willing to risk everything in his life for God. So when we act on what we hear, it brings blessings to us and to others. Well, sorry, to others first, but also to us. So later on in about Abraham, it says, the Lord says, because you were a baby, he didn't kill him, if you don't know how that ends. Um, because you were a baby and not withheld your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And says he's going to bless him with descendants that go through the, th- throughout the whole earth, all because you have obeyed me. But listening to God isn't about our own gain. Uh, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel here before Marcus thinks he's gone to the wrong church today. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, if you if you put enough in the offering and um, and you make sure that you come up to the front to pray, then you're going to get a big windfall this week. It'd be great if you did. I'll, I'll claim that over. Yeah, we'll have that as well, God. Um, but no, it's not. It's not a you do this for God and be His messenger, and then you get the blessing. It's kind of more of a byproduct. So, like when I pray for somebody and. I'd listen to God. It's not like this instant joy, an instant message, and then they're like, oh, this is amazing. Some, sometimes it happens like that. Often they cry, which isn't always um, quite as reassuring. Um, but if, you know, if I pray for somebody and I say, I think this is what God might be saying to you, um, does that mean anything? And afterwards they're like, actually, yes, because this is going on in my life. Or um, somebody else gave me that exact same word a few weeks ago. That amazing joy that I feel of like, Oh, God actually just used me to speak to that person. That's an incredible blessing for me. This was about that person. It's not about me. But to know, oh, God's really using me and God really does speak. It's an incredible blessing that that you get, that I'm amazed that he would choose me to be his messenger. Um, But the person that we show, if we go back to looking at Cornelius, so he was acted in a godly way, he was separated from God, all his traditions. Um, But if Peter had held back, we would still be hanging out in that court of Gentiles. It wasn't down to Peter to come up with a profound or life-changing message. That was God's work. It was just up to him to be the messenger. So let's not mix up all the responsibilities here. We don't have to come up with a good message. We don't have to deliver the best goods in the world, but we just have to go and, and pass that on. It's about listening to God and passing that message on. Everybody's already on a journey. If we look back over the last, um, probably the last three weeks, uh, we looked at eight, Acts 8, 9 and 10. Peter um, took a message to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he was riding along. This was the George Osborne tale. Um, we all remember that one. So he's riding along and Peter brings a message to him. And then um, Acts 9, Ananias um, and brought a message to Saul, but God had already showed up to Saul. And Peter brought a message to Cornelius, but God had already showed up to Cornelius. All of these people were already on their journey. So the eunuch, Saul, and um, Cornelius were already on their journey. He was, they were already, God was already at work in their lives. And it was just the person who gave the message, their job to pass on a message and move them a step forward. So if you think about your friends, the people that you might want to invite to Alpha, the people um, in your street, the people everywhere around you, God's already at work in those people's lives. 
they might not know it. They might not have any concept of God at all. But, you know, God is doing something in them. They're already on a journey. It's not all down to you. So, you know, imagine if you're going out of here today outside the car park and, you, and a car stops and asks you for directions. Uh, you know, do you know how to get to the town centre? What they're asking you to do is to tell them how to get to the town centre, to pass on that direction. They're not saying, oh, could you go and buy me a car, fill it up with petrol, get in the driving seat, take me to the town centre, take me to where I need to go and then drive me home. They're just asking for that bit of message. They're already on their journey. They're already halfway there, but they just need the bit of information to get them to the next stage. Um, So all you've got to do is play the part that God's asking you to do. He's going to help you intersect with other people's lives and he's inviting us to be a part of his work. And sometimes we get to play a bigger part. Um, one time, I hope I remember this right, Ken and Anne were in New York um, and they got on the bus and were going in the wrong direction um, and ended up in a really dodgy neighbourhood. And th- somebody said to them, look, look, you're really lost. You're going to get really in a mess here. Um, I'll jump in my car and I'll take you back to the place you need to go. So sometimes it's like this, you know, that was pretty risky, but but Ken's a a police officer and he could have whipped out his truncheon or something, I'm sure, Um, which I'm sure he carries in his back pocket when he travels. Um, So don't try that at home, don't don't advocate that. Um, But my point is sometimes we do get to be the person that just doesn't, doesn't just go, oh, just go in that direction. We get to help somebody along their journey. Now, I'm not talking literally of giving somebody lift. But it might be that, you know, when somebody comes to you and says, oh, would you pray for me? I've got a real financial issue. You can pray for them. God might be saying, um, you know, God's going to, I feel that God's going to provide for you. But then God might also say to you, put your hand in your pocket and give them a tenner. You know, it might be that God wants to use you in a practical way to help move them on in their journey as well. We all get the privilege of being part of God's work, whatever that is. Sometimes he has to stick around for a bit more support. Sometimes it's a one-off message. Other times it's something that we can do for a while. Um, a few years ago, a friend had to go for some test results in Leicester and was really nervous um, for um, to hospital. And I couldn't take her in my car, so I couldn't do the, the practical thing there. But I could ride alongside her and just go in to, and wait in the waiting room while she had her appointment and be there to chat to her on the way home. And God sometimes uses us in that way. Again, I'm not talking literally of going to an appointment with somebody, but to actually journey alongside somebody while they're, you know, you might just be able to go, you know what, you're going to have a friend. It's going to be okay. Um, God's got something to say to you in your life, but I'm going to journey alongside you while that's going on. And it might be for a short time. It might be for a lifetime that God brings you together with somebody to do that journey with them. So when God asks us to be his messengers, he might ask us to do all sorts of things, but it's about listening. What part do you want me to play? And don't assume that you've got to take them on the whole journey. So how does God want to use us as his church, as his messenger of his Holy Spirit? Would God use you to give an encouraging word to the lady at the checkout? Remember, she's on a journey as well. Do you have a friend that God's prompting you to give that alpha leaflet to that you were given last week or you can pick up today? God's already at work in your friends' lives. They're already on their journey. It's not your responsibility to bring them, you know, from no knowledge of Christ to a full living relationship with Christ. Maybe your job is just to hand over that leaflet and say, hey, would you like to come along to this? Do you have a message that you could give to somebody else in the church? Can you step out and go and pray for somebody? Can you ask God this week, what would you say to Central Vineyard? What's the right thing to be saying at this time? And seek God 
and bring a message to somebody? Is God asking you to journey alongside somebody to give a practical support or walk alongside them for a while? You know, everybody here probably looks quite happy and sorted. If you ask them when they're having a cup of coffee, how's your week? Yeah, great, everything's brilliant. But I bet most people, if not everybody in this room, has got some kind of decision or difficulty or something going on in every single person's life where you're like, actually, I really would like God to move in that area. You know, maybe you can have a show of hands if anybody's completely sorted, no issues, everything is absolutely perfect. It could not get any better. Is anyone... Anyone feeling like that? Okay, so take the assumption that everybody in this room has got an area they'd like to see God move in their life. So you can be bold and go to anybody in this room, it doesn't have to be the person sitting next to you, somebody you know, and ask God, what would you have to say to this person? And my prayer for the church is really that each person here is filled with the Holy Spirit and alert to the voice of the Holy Spirit and that we can be used as messengers you know, in in a supernatural way, but just by doing our natural part. You know, that we don't have to be constantly on our knees, um, but that we can just hear God's voice and go, oh, I'll go and do that. Um, that you know, my prayer is that God will open up our eyes to people who need to hear that message this week. And it's like, you know, when you're at the airport um, and you've got that walkway thing that goes faster, like the flat escalator, the travelator thing. Yeah, so when we step into the Holy Spirit, it's like stepping on that. You can still walk, but you're going faster, you know, because we can do a lot of stuff in our own power, but it's just really just going to get us there slowly. But if we step into the Holy Spirit, we get direct message from God of what's going on in somebody's life and how to speak that message to them. So you're stepping into another power source and it joins with yours. And there's so much more impact of what, what you can do in somebody's life. So I want you to stand and I've got a few few ways that we can respond here this morning. Now I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give a few different things that I think God's asked me to, um, share. So, to be honest, I think that everybody in this room will fit into one of these three categories, if not more than one. Um, and then I'd like us to do a, a physical response to it. Um, don't tremble in fear if you hate being, um, I'm not gonna ask you to do an interpretive dance at the front or anything. Um, okay, so, close your eyes and just put your hands out as you listen. Listen to what God's going to say. So perhaps you've never received the Holy Spirit for yourself. I certainly couldn't do life without the Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel like Cornelius, where you're God-fearing and devout. You do good works, but something's missing. It's the Holy Spirit that is missing. Let us pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've received the Holy Spirit some time ago, years ago when you were a child, even last week but you need a fresh outpouring. We're like leaky vessels. We need to be constantly refreshed. Psalm 1 talks about us being like trees planted in streams of living water. We constantly need to keep our toes wet, otherwise we wilt. So let us pray for you that you have a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps God has reminded you that you need to listen to the Holy Spirit a bit more. That you need to be awake and alert to his voice to be sharp and ready to share, to be used as his messenger. We want to pray for you as well, but I want you guys to pray for the others. Okay, so 
If you've never received the Holy Spirit, and this is going to take a bit of boldness, um, but if you can keep your eyes sort of down, if you, if you don't want to move, keep your eyes down um, so that we can just give people a bit of boldness to step out. If you've never received the Holy Spirit, but would like to receive the Holy Spirit right now, if you could just raise your hand if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit. Does anybody feel that they've never had an experience of the Holy Spirit and would love to know God's voice? God working with them, that you're just walking as fast as you can, but to step onto that travelator, what a relief that would be. Okay, and if you've received the Holy Spirit, but would like a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we'd like to be refreshed in that, to have your toes dipped into that water again, and to know the Holy Spirit's power in your life. If you can raise your hand. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, and the people that you know if you'd like if you'd like to be bold and to listen to God today, can you put your hand up if you'd like to hear the Holy Spirit? You've never heard the Holy Spirit before. Or you just want to, you know, maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit before, but you just want to be bold today. Okay, so those that would like to receive the Holy Spirit or would like a fresh outpouring, if you'd like to come down to this, the front, I'm going to ask you to be bold, to come down to the front, and we're going to be praying for you. So if you've never received the Holy Spirit or would like a fresh outpouring, and there's no judgment, if you'd like to move to the front. And then, do you know what? I don't see everybody up here sharing words every week, so the rest of you have got no excuse. Listen to God. Come and pray with these people. So I need four men to come down right now to come and pray for these two guys. And there's more of you. There's more of you that want prayer. So during this song, uh, we're just going to come back and worship together. But during this song, I want you to come and look for those that want prayer. If you're in the worship band and want prayer, get prayer rather than worship. That's fine. But we're not leaving today until the Holy Spirit has done his business. So if if the worship band could just um, play something in the background, because I want those that are still standing here to be listening to God, and we're going to have a time to, um, we'll have the mic at the front. What has God got to say to our church today? What has God got to say to individuals? Spend this time listening to God. And the worship band, if you can just um, play in the background with some, um, however you want, Sam. But um, We're going to make this an open space, so there's some prayer going on here. And the rest of you guys can be listening. This is a time to practice. This is a safe place. Let's be God's messengers in the church so that we've got the confidence to go out there and do it on the streets.